Uh, today, I want to talk about knowing the unknowable, knowing the unknowable. Our anchor passage for today is found in Ephesians chapter 3. starts with verse 14. It says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would give you, according to the riches of his glory, power to be strengthened by his Spirit in the inner man. And that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be, able to may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, length, and depth, and height, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you will be filled with all the fullness of God." And I love puzzles. I've always loved them. Even as a kid, I started off with, you know, the little nails that were wrapped around each other and you try to attach, you know, detach them from each other. So I got pretty good at that. So I could do that pretty quickly. Felt pretty good about myself. And then uh, there's the one with the, the horseshoes that have the little ring in the middle and you try to twist it and get the ring off. Looks impossible when you're looking at it. There's no way that will come off there. But uh, eventually you learn how to do it and there's that excitement in learning how to do that. We'll uh, come along after that and we got one of these bad boys, right? So, um, Brother Slagley asked me earlier, said, are you going to uh, like solve that in front of it? No, I'm not. <laughs> not, not at all. Uh, so I never quite figured this out, even though, you know, I can watch on TV where this like little eight-year-old boy solves it blindfolded with a hand behind his back in like six seconds. So it just kind of makes me feel dumb, really. <laughs> but I never could figure this one out. And so a couple of years ago, uh, my daughter comes home. If that wasn't bad enough, my daughter comes home with this bad boy. So this one like twists and turns and spins and has about, I don't know how many more colors on it. But uh, no, there's no way that this one's ever going to happen. I mean, from the time it came out of the package, it's never seen its, its rightful same colored side, right? It's always been mixed up. And no matter how much I play with it and think I'm getting close, I never can quite get it. And so it really just becomes a, a, a source of frustration to me. I don't know how many times we've almost thrown this away, but it just kind of keeps making its way back. But, you know, in, in, in Ephesians this morning, Paul is presenting us with a puzzle, it seems like, that is, is unsolvable. And so he's, he's telling us that we are, or he's asking, the, hoping and praying that we should know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. He's asking us to know something that is unknowable. So it seems like just a, a setup for frustration, right? Why even pursue something if it's not even possible? Well, if Paul's prayer for us is to know the unknowable, and we know that, uh, uh, that through Paul, God has spoken to us. It's his inspired word. So we can deduce that God wants us to understand his love to the greatest extent that we can, knowing that ultimately it is unknowable. So how do we do that? Are we just set up for frustration? Are we just going to pursue this and end uh, just feeling like a failure? Well, I want to talk about that today. I think there's three ways that God would have us to come to know the unknowable. The first is through revelation. The second is through relationship. 
And the third is through rejoicing. So for the past several Sunday nights, uh, Brother Rich has been speaking about revelation and not the like end of the world, mark of the beast, apocalyptic revelation that we often think of. This is more of a, a great, important thing that God would like to reveal to us, and he reveals that to us through his word. And that's what we're talking about today. So I want to look at a little bit of context. So we're coming into this conversation in Ephesians, uh, kind of in the middle and uh, I think if we don't know what's going on beforehand, then it could be a little bit confusing. So we're actually coming into a prayer that uh, Paul is offering up, or more specifically, a description of an ongoing prayer that Paul has for uh, these saints at Ephesus. He's telling them, like, when I talk to God, these are the things that I talk about. These are the things that I ask him in regard to you. And he begins the description of this prayer with, for this reason. For this reason, he's saying, this is why I'm praying this. So that automatically tells us that we need to go back a bit so we can understand what Paul is really talking about. So just to give you a little bit of, of insight into what's going on in, in Ephesians in this letter, he starts off this letter reminding the saints at Ephesus of all the spiritual blessings that come along with their relationship with Christ. He talks about forgiveness. He talks about sonship. He talks about how we have an internal inheritance. He then refers to this mystery this mystery of God's will. And we'll come back to that mystery here in a moment, but the first mention of Paul's prayers for the saints at Ephesus comes in chapter 1. We're actually in prayer number 2 in our text today. Uh, but this first prayer, he's praying similarly that they should receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ. He wants them to get to know Christ better. In chapter 2, he talks about our new life with Christ and uh, how we once were at odds with Christ, but now we are at one with him through his blood. And then we land at the beginning of chapter 3, the reason for this prayer that Paul prays. And I, I want you to understand, that's high-level bird's-eye view of chapter 1 and chapter 2. We don't have time to cover all that, but please go back and study that for yourself. There's so much great information, so much uh, great insight into the love of Christ in those first two chapters alone. But we start here, we land here on chapter 3, and yet again, Paul mentions this mystery this mystery of Christ. Now, this isn't the mystery like we think about. Not like Sherlock Holmes, you know, Hardy Boys, Nancy Drew, like in my case, Scooby-Doo. That was my mystery growing up. But it's not that kind of mystery, right? It's not some hidden code to decipher or some sort of sneaky motive that we're trying to figure out or uncover. In this case, it's simply a previously withheld revelation, something that we haven't been told because it's not the right time. So you see, Israel knew, they knew that there was a coming Messiah. They knew that out of their nation would be a deliverer. And they knew that God would provide them freedom from their oppression, freedom from their bondage. But what they didn't know, what they didn't know, and this is the mystery part, is that God's plan all along from the very beginning was not just to save his people, not just to save Israel through this Messiah, but the whole world. And that included these dirty, evil Gentiles, 
right? So we start here in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 2. says, you may have heard of the administration of the grace of God, which was given me for you. By how revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have written briefly already, by which when you read it, you may understand my knowledge of the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it is now revealed in his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, how the Gentiles are fellow heirs, the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members and partakers of the promise in Christ by the gospel. This is what was causing Paul of his problems. This is the reason he was in jail writing this letter. Through Paul and the other apostles, they were continually revealing this full plan of salvation for the entire world, not just his chosen people. And at the core of this salvation was the love for all, a love unto death, not just for Israel. All right, so everyone was given the opportunity to be joint heirs, joint heirs in Christ, heirs with equal rights, Jews and Gentiles alike. That's everyone with equal inheritance. They had that opportunity, and this angered many of the Jews, uh, especially the religious elite, thus causing Paul a bit of an issue when he's out in the streets preaching this gospel. So we continue in verse 7 where Paul says, of this I was made a minister. According to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power, to me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the incomprehensible riches of Christ and to reveal for all people what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ so that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church and the principalities and powers in the heavenly places." According to the eternal purpose, which he completed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. The incomprehensible riches of Christ. This mystery completed in Christ, in whom we have boldness and confident access in faith in him, is now being revealed to us. The Gentiles, what a revelation. If I'm a Gentile, and, and I am, uh, I'm jumping for joy with this revelation. The God of the universe has now given me full access to his kingdom, complete with my own inheritance through his son. Now, if I'm a Jew, I should probably be happy for my fellow humans, right? More family in the kingdom. And some were, Paul being one of them, I was, a, I was very happy for this new revelation. But many were like the prophet Jonah. They didn't want the Gentiles to be reconciled with God. They wanted them to get the punishment that they deserved. You know, or maybe they were just at that point where they couldn't understand this love that had been around since the beginning of time and that would last for eternity and was available to all who partook of it. They were having a tough time knowing the unknowable. So I want to pause for a second, kind of sidebar here, and this is, this is bonus material for this morning, but something that really kind of stuck out as I was studying. Uh, with any revelation, there's, there's two parties, right? There's the revealer and the 
revelee, if you'd say it like that, the person being revealed to, okay? So in this case, the revelation of this mystery was not limited to just the human race alone. The revelation was important enough to be withheld and revealed to all when it was the right time. That being said, I don't want you to miss verse 10. In Ephesians 3, it says, so that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church, and this is this new group of believers in Christ, to principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Even the angels were like, well, would you look at that? Look, look what's happening here. They were excited. They were interested. I don't know if that's how they reacted for real, but they were interested in the comings and goings of Christ. They were interested in what was going on between him and the people that were made in his his image. So let's look at what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1. It says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that should come to you have inquired and searched diligently, seeking the events and time, the spirit of Christ who was within them signified when he foretold the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you concerning these things, the things which are now reported to you by those who have preached the gospel to you through the Holy Spirit, who was sent from heaven, things into which the angels desire to look. The angels were on the edge of their seats. They were interested in this redemptive plan between God and the people that he had created in his image. Now, obviously, some, at least some of them knew part of the plan. You know, they delivered the message to Mary and Joseph. They were rejoicing on, on the hillsides with the shepherds when Jesus was born. So some of them knew. But the fullness of God's plan had been withheld from them, just like it had been withheld, withheld from his chosen people. The angels were seeing this plan unfold before their eyes through the daily workings of the church, these new believers in Jesus Christ. So for me, this paints a even much more vivid picture when we see in Luke chapter 15, when Jesus said, likewise, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of angels over one sinner who repents. The angels are in heaven cheering over this this revelation, this plan that is being laid out before them for the redemption of man. Seeing that picture in my mind just... it just, it really blows my mind thinking about it. So kind of getting back on track though, uh, all that, that being said, this mystery of Christ, this mystery of Christ is no more salvation for all has been revealed through him, has been revealed through Christ. We look at John chapter 1, 1 John chapter 1, excuse me. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have touched concerning the word of life, the life was revealed and we have seen it and testified to it and announced to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was revealed to us. God's full redemptive plan was not revealed to the prophets of old in the Old Testament, but is now completely revealed through Christ. We see in Hebrews chapter 1, God who at various times and in diverse ways spoke long ago to the fathers through the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the world. He is the brightness of his glory, express image of himself, and upholds all things by the word of his power. 
When he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Salvation has been made available to all who believe on Jesus. But those who think themselves wise, those who think themselves uh, smarter than God and no need of God, I don't need Jesus. This salvation I can somehow figure out on my own. I can do enough, say enough to save myself. For those people, that mystery remains. They simply cannot know the unknowable. The opportunity is there but since they have rejected Christ, they cannot know his love. So we'll, if we look in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, I thank you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to infants. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in your sight. All things are delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and he to whom the Son will reveal him. Jesus is not going to force anyone to be saved. Love that is forced is no love at all. Christ has made himself available to all who come to him in repentance. And now in verse 27, uh, it may seem to imply that God arbitrarily chooses favored, uh, favored few to come to him. And that's called Calvinism, or in our day here it referred to as Reformed doctrine. And so we need only to continue reading to understand clearly that that is not the case. Verse 28 says, Come to me all, all you who are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God's mystery, his unknowable love for us can only be made known through a relationship with his son. And that relationship has been made available to all of us through him. So this brings us to our next way of knowing the unknowable, and that's through relationship. Uh, we go to Colossians chapter 2. It says, I would like you to know what a great struggle I am having for you and for those at Laodicea and for everyone who has, sent, has not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be comforted, being knit together in love, and receive all the riches and assurance of full understanding and knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now this I say, lest anyone beguile you with enticing words, for though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing and seeing your orderliness and steadfastness of your faith in Christ." As you have received Christ the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as you have been taught and abounding with thanksgiving. Again, Paul is at a place of prayer here with his fellow believers. This time, for those in Colossae who were dealing with this barrage of false doctrines, all undercutting the power and the love of Christ. And Paul again refers to this mystery. He wants them to receive all the riches, all the hidden treasures that can only be found in the fullness of Christ. He says, don't let these folks trick you, these false teachers, to trick you out of missing out on the full knowledge and understanding of who Christ is and what he has done. And how do we keep from being tricked? How do we keep from being, as you'd say, beguiled? All right? 
we walk with Christ. We walk with Christ. It says we be in constant fellowship with him, be rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. The best way to know God's unknowable love is to have a relationship with him. Not one that ends with salvation, but one that begins with salvation. The best way to know God's unknowable love is to experience it daily, minute by minute, second by second, in the good times, in the bad times, in the stressful times, in those very rare times where you just don't have a care in the world, even experiencing him during those times. We look in Philippians chapter 4, a passage most of us are very familiar with, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with gratitude, make your requests known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will protect your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, as I said, we're familiar with that passage. And I think sometimes we have a tendency to stop right there. We, something goes wrong in our lives, something happens that's not planned or it's bad, and we immediately go to the Lord in prayer, which we should, but we make our request known to God, and then we kick back and say, okay, I'm ready for the peace that passes all understanding. Just, come on. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting. Well, while I'm waiting, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think about all these bad things that are going on in my life. I'm really going to dwell on them. I'm really, maybe I'm going to make a list and when someone asks me, I can tell them about all the bad things that are going on in my life. And that's what I'm really, in the meantime, while I'm waiting on this piece, I'm going to focus on what's going on right here. Paul doesn't stop there. He says in verse 8, it says, Finally, brothers, whatever things are true, whatever things are honest, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is any praise, think on these things. Does that sound familiar? In Colossians, we just read about the steadfast and being rooted in the faith, walking with Christ. Paul had already spoken of this, but this is talking about in your mind, in your heart, in your will, think on these things, dwell on these things. Walking with Christ is more than just your outward actions. It's a change of heart. It's, it's continually developing this new life within you. It's allowing the Holy Spirit to work within you and change you from the inside out. God already knows every little thing about of us, about us, the hairs on our head, every little thing. He knows us beyond we could ever, the point that we could ever imagine knowing ourselves. But as we walk with him and we invest in this relationship with Christ, the more we get to know him. Now we'll never fully understand God, right? He's unknowable, but we should find comfort in knowing that he fully knows us and still loves us even though he knows every little thing about us. Psalm 139 says, Oh Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I get up, you understand my thought from far off. You search my path and my lying down and are aware of all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it fully. You put yourself behind me and before me and keep your hand on me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is lofty and I cannot fathom it. 
David goes on in verse 7 to say, How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Have you ever had something on your mind and you just can't get it off your mind? Like you're, you're driving in the car and you're thinking about it. You're at work or school, you're walking down the hall, you're thinking about it. You get home at night, it's supper time, you're thinking about it. It's time to go to bed, you can't go to sleep because you're thinking about it. You go to sleep, finally, wake up the next morning, you're still thinking about it. You ever had those moments This is how David was with God. His thoughts of God, his desire to know him better helped him understand. It consumed him, but it helped him understand his love and to know him more. Now, lastly, we know we, in order to help us know the unknowable love of God, it is through rejoicing, through rejoicing. So Romans chapter five says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And so we rejoice in hope the glory of God. Not only so, but we also boast in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces patience, patience produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You ever stop during that really hard, difficult time and just... Rejoice? Praise God? That's usually not our go-to action, right? Something goes bad. We pray. We, oh, Lord, please help me with this. Uh, you know, what can you do to get me out of this? But is our, is our first thought to go to God and say, you know, well, thank you, God. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for, for no matter what happens, no matter what situation in life, thank you for allowing me to know that your love hasn't changed. It hasn't affected your love in any way, shape, or form. Is that how we go to God when we get in those situations? Now, I quote this all the time. I don't know if Brother Bill coined it or not. In my mind, he did, so we'll just say he did. Uh, he says that we know that with Jesus, the worst thing that could ever happen to us could never happen to us. Brothers and sisters, that is the hope and the glory of God. That's called the love of God shed abroad in our heart. And hope does not, as the scripture tells us, hope does not disappoint. Rejoicing in our lives, no matter the situation, good, bad, ugly, helps us come to a better understanding of God's love for us. We go to 1 Peter chapter 1. It says this, in this you greatly rejoice, even though now if for a little while you have had to suffer various trials, in order that the genuineness of your faith which is more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tried by fire, may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, and in whom though you do not see him now, you believe and you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory." Receiving as the result of your faith the salvation of your souls. Rejoicing through trials results in praise and glory and honor. And what? 
at the revelation of Christ and understanding his love more. Knowing our salvation is rooted in the love of Jesus Christ, the unknowable love gives us unspeakable joy. The love of God found in Christ is so awesome that we can't know it, understand it, or even really adequately put it into words. Paul goes back in Romans chapter 5, says, Furthermore, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Now, we may not be able to fully know and understand or adequately talk about God's love, but what we can know is this, without his love, we never had a chance of being made right with our creator. We could, uh, we could never come close to fixing what was broken. But through God's love for us, through our Lord Jesus Christ, we have been redeemed. And that's something to rejoice about, right? One of my favorite Psalms is Psalms 107. It says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord speak out, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. If you've experienced this unknowable love of Christ, tell somebody about it. Speak out, rejoice out loud to others so they can hear you. As we affirm his love in our hearts, it is, as we affirm it out loud, it's confirmed in our hearts. We're reminded of that love that Christ has showed us. Now, knowing the unknowable seems like a daunting task. Impossible, even. So why should we even try because our God tells us that knowing the unknowable brings us a peace that we can't truly comprehend and produces a joy that is inexpressible. Try to wrap your mind around all of that. But that's how awesome our God is. Something amazing happens when we truly pursue God. Even though we will never fully understand his love, the immeasurable sacrifice that he made for us on the cross by sending his son, and the, how he went head to head with death and became the victor, how through his blood we have victory through him, and how through he didn't just go in and negotiate our punishment, he actually stood in our place and took it upon himself. Knowing all of that, even though we can't really wrap our minds around all of that or why he did it or who he really is, the more we try to figure it out, the more we learn about it, the more peace and joy we experience through Christ. It's not like this mega Rubik's Cube that I'll never figure out and the more I play with it, the more frustrated I get. That's not how it works. There's no frustration in not knowing. There's just joy, pure joy in knowing that my God loves me so much that I will never understand it. Never. Can you imagine that kind of love? Of course we can. It's unknowable, right? But God still draws us in and promises that we will never regret pursuing him. Paul ended his prayer in Ephesians 3 like this. 
Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or imagine according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. All can be found in Christ. Salvation is made available to all through Christ. Nothing of value can be found outside of Christ. So today I ask, do you know the unknowable love of Jesus? It may sound impossible, but he has made his love known to you and he wants you to come to know him. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever, whosoever, that's me, that's you, that's everyone and anyone, whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth to Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that he's raised from the dead, you will be saved. That is his promise to us. It's that easy. If you don't know Jesus, I would like to introduce him to you today. There's a lot to get to know about our unknowable God and his unknowable love and how he gave his life so that we can live. And now would be a great time to get started on it. Let's pray.